Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Hey, uh, today, I'm just going to ask a simple question. What will you do with Jesus? And it's a question, don't switch off if you've been a Christian for decades, because it's a question we've got to ask ourselves every single day. What am I going to do with Jesus today? Not what will I do with Jesus when I was 14 and gave my heart to Jesus at some rally or something like that, and that kind of sealed the deal. But every moment of every day, what will I do with Jesus today? And so this message and this question applies not just to those who maybe in your journey, you haven't come to that understanding, you haven't crossed that line of faith. But it applies to every single one of us. And I actually want to look today at a guy who's a fairly obscure character in the Bible. We only tend to read about him in the context of the Christmas season uh, because he makes his appearance around the, the time of the birth of Jesus. And it's a guy called Simeon. We don't know much about him, but here, uh, yeah, okay, he's got a namesake, all right. There you go. Reading from the book of Luke, any Lukes? No, okay, that's fine. At that time, there was a man named Simeon living in Jerusalem. He was a good, God-fearing man and was waiting for Israel to be saved. The Holy Spirit was with him and had assured him that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's promised Messiah. Led by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple. When the parents brought the child Jesus into the temple to do for him what the law required, Simeon took the child in his arms and gave thanks to God. Now, Lord, you have kept your promise and you may let your servant go in peace. With my own eyes, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light to reveal your will to the Gentiles and bring glory to your people, Israel. This Christmas season is it's kind of a, a peculiar time of year. It's strange in the sense that even though we live in an increasingly secular society, people all over the world suddenly find it appropriate to sing songs about Jesus. And that's one of the reasons why we are so committed to this gift of the Christmas spectacular for our community. Because what if you think about the Christmas season, it's the one time of year when the world, our secular society, actually allows us to tell them about Jesus. So we're going to grab that with everything we have. But I began to realize something when I looked at the words of some of the most loved carols that we sing at Christmas time. I mean, away in a manger, for example, away in a manger in a crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the bright sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. 
Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild. Sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. These are beautiful carols. I mean, they're lullabies. They certainly sing of the truth of Jesus, and it's contained in these carols. But what I recognise is while the world doesn't mind singing songs that talk about the person of Jesus, we don't find too many carols that actually sing songs about the purpose of Jesus. We don't mind a little baby, but we don't sing about his purpose. But in this text today from this relatively unknown man in Scripture, we have this verse. And I'm calling it a song this morning. In fact, I'm going to call it a carol this morning by way of comparison. So Simeon took the child in his arms, gave thanks to the Lord. And I'm just imagining singing this. Now, Lord, you've kept your promise. You may let your servant go in peace with my own eyes. I've seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light to reveal your will to the Gentiles and bring glory to your people, Israel. Simeon's carol, if I can call it that by way of comparison, is actually all about the purpose of Jesus. And again, people are really comfortable singing about a little baby in a manger. We don't so much like the grown-up Jesus who said some pretty confronting things. Matthew 10 and 32, for example. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. And we love the little baby in the manger. We don't so much like the Son of God who proclaims in John 14 and 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's really confronting. It's not even terribly politically correct in the day and age in which we live. People don't mind today if you're religious. But they just don't like it when we claim that there's only one way to God. And the accepted form of spirituality in the world today is to be universalist. That means there's many gods, many expressions of God, many ways to God. They're all valid and essentially they're all the same. That is not the message of Jesus. So I want to unpack for a few minutes this carol of Simeon's today and ask some questions that might be helpful to us, maybe a little bit confronting to us. And again, we know very little about this guy Simeon, but here we have this great saint who was obviously waiting for a promise to be fulfilled. We don't know how old Simeon was, but here we have the understanding that God had told him that he would not die before he saw the promised Messiah. So he might have been quite elderly, we don't really know, but he waited all his life for this moment. And although we don't know how old he was, don't know how old the promise was, what we do know is that he waited patiently. 
Now, I don't know about you, but increasingly waiting patiently goes against the cultural grain. We do not like to wait for anything. We live in this age of instant everything. You've got instant shopping. You've got instant communication. You've got on-demand instant entertainment, instant information. Every single one of us in this room probably can pull out a device and Google anything on anything. And in this world today, we have this increasing sense of I can have whatever I want whenever I want it. And let me warn us this morning, if we project that expectation onto God, we're going to be in trouble. And there is virtue in waiting. One of the healthiest things, in fact, that I think draws us even closer to God is the discipline of actually waiting upon God and particularly waiting for His timing, because His timing is always perfect, even when we don't see that in the waiting. So the first of four questions that I want us to ponder this morning, number one, are we willing to wait upon God? Are we willing to wait for His timing? And I'll be the first to say, waiting is not easy. Again, we're culturally conditioned not to have to wait for anything. But friends, let me say this. Waiting is good. Waiting is a good discipline. Lamentations 3 and 26. It is good to wait patiently for the salvation of the Lord. Isaiah 40 and 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Psalm 37 and 34. Wait for the Lord and keep His way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. We even have this understanding that waiting is even directly linked to answered prayer. Psalm 38 and 15. I wait for you, O Lord, you will answer me, O Lord my God. So whilst it can be difficult at times to wait upon the Lord, it is far better to go through that discipline than to not wait and then one day look back and wish you had waited. And I don't know what it is that you might be waiting for today. But I guarantee there's a bunch of us in the room who are waiting upon God for something. Maybe in the moment of waiting, it's frustrating. It might be a little bit painful. Maybe it even makes no sense at all. But are you prepared to trust that the God who actually created you and created this universe and all that it contains actually knows what he's doing and that his purpose extends beyond the temporal which is our reality into an eternal purpose which is his reality and he invites us into that space are you prepared to wait for the good things that God has for you Simeon was second question who is it that controls your life now, that's a really confronting question, but it's a really important question because there's only two options here. Either we are taking control of our own destiny, we're our own boss, or we can, understanding God's purpose, 
Say, God, I am your child. I am your creation. I want to know the plans that you have purposed for me. God, I recognize that my life finds balance and harmony and purpose and direction and, and its fulfillment and fruitfulness as I pursue you and as I surrender to you. I remember when 9-11 happened, and forgive me if I've told this story before, but I'll never forget it. Two weeks after 9-11, in the World Trade Centers, um, the um, Larry King show, I was watching it late one night, the late night talk show host, had Dr. James Dobson on. And you know it was a setup, like the producers of the show thinking, pretty controversial time, 9-11, still a massively hot topic. Let's give the high-profile Christian, let's get him on the program and ask him some really hard questions. And so he had James Dobson on, and Larry King welcomed him to the show, and he said, Dr. Dobson, thank you for being on the program today. First question, he said, so... Was God in control on 9-11? It's like, oh man, no surprises really. You expect that one. And James Dobson, so considered, so prepared, just looked at it looked at him and said, Larry, let me answer that question by asking you a question. And he said, Is God in control of your life? And Larry King just stopped, he had nothing. You can see him thinking and you can see the metal gears kicking over what I'm going to say. And he just started nodding and said, good answer. And it's the right answer. We have a God who is the sovereign creator of this universe who made you and I, who forces himself on nobody. It is his desire that we would know the fullness of his love and the fullness of his purpose and the depth of a relationship with him. But we have a free will. So who controls your life? Who controls Simeon's life? Luke 2 and 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. Now righteous in this context means that there was something about him that actually reflected the nature and the character of God. He was seen to be a righteous man. Devout means that he was very devout in his religious practices and keeping all the ordinances that were required. So he's righteous, the character of God, and religious. But actually that doesn't answer the question who controlled his life because you can actually be incredibly religious and still leave God out of your life completely. In fact, Jesus was often incredibly critical of the Pharisees for doing exactly that. And they were the religious leaders. We read his words in Matthew 23 and 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And we can turn up to church on a Sunday and we can put on a facade that makes everybody think that we're righteous and devout. And yet in the same way, in reality, we're leaving God totally out and we are on this course where I am totally in control of my life. I direct my life. I, I'm the boss of my life. And we push God to the periphery. So the answer to who it was that controlled Simeon is actually found later in this verse, in verse 26. 
it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. So we read that the Holy Spirit was on him. He had that revelation. He was sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. He's also responding in a way that he was where he needed to be according to what the Holy Spirit had said to him. Now this actually speaks massively for Simeon's sensitivity to God. It speaks massively of his closeness to God because what we need to understand, even though we might be familiar with this story, is this is before the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out on all mankind. So this is remarkable. This was before the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, before the Holy Spirit indwelt the life of the believer. And it is so remarkable because he's so close to God and he receives this revelation and he receives this direction from the Holy Spirit. And so I think there is no question that it was God who controlled Simeon's life. So friends, who is it that directs our life? And remember, only two choices. It's either us on the throne or it's God on the throne. Are we waiting patiently on God? to guide us and direct us or are we just taking control and totally plowing on regardless without any reference to God at all? That picture that I love that we often repeat here is Jesus the steering wheel in your life or is he the spare wheel in the boot? The only time you pull him out is when you've got a flat tire broken down on the side of the road. Is there an area of your life that you need to bring in submission to Him? Is there a struggle that you need to give up control of? Well, friends, we need to be like Simeon and allow God to guide us, allow God to direct us, allow God to strengthen us. Because if we don't, it's detrimental to us. We are going to be missing out on God's best for us. What would Simeon have missed if he hadn't listened to God's prompting? If he hadn't followed the Holy Spirit's leading, he would have missed out that God appointment in the temple that day. He would have missed out on the one thing that God had promised him, a chance to see the Savior of the world in the flesh. And it prompts the question, what are we potentially missing out on because we're not letting God totally direct our lives and we're not walking closely after God to actually hear that prompting. Luke 20 and 30, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Third question. <clears throat> Simeon talks about Jesus being the light. Have you seen the light? Have you seen the light? We read in verse 25 that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Simeon knew the hardships that Israel was going through. He knew that Israel struggled uh, under Roman law and Roman governance, Roman rule. Simeon had been waiting, as every Jew had, for the promised Messiah. He would save them, he would comfort them, 
And Simeon himself had been promised that he would not die until he had seen that Messiah, that Savior in the flesh. And let's just allow imaginations to go to that day in the temple. And I can imagine Simeon there, prompted by God to be there, thinking to himself, is this the day? Is this the day? Been waiting this all my life. Is this the day? And I can see him just scanning the crowd as people are coming into the temple and looking, is that the one? Is that the one? Is that the one? And then he sees this young couple, a poor couple, coming into the temple, carrying what is obviously a newborn baby. And for whatever reason, he just couldn't take his eyes off them. Something in his heart's just leaping as he sees this couple and he's probably thinking to himself, what's going on here? Is, why, why can I not avert my gaze from this couple? And you'd be thinking, surely this, this just doesn't fit the, the, the picture. This newborn baby and he goes to approach them and then you can imagine Mary and Joseph sees this old dude walking over to them thinking, what's going on here? And he's not looking at them, he's just looking at the baby and he reaches out to take the baby in his arms. What would they be thinking in that moment? But as he held that baby in his arms, he knew that he cradled the Savior of the world. At that point, God just opened his eyes. And Simeon, I reckon, probably saw before him not this little baby. In that moment, I wonder if he had a vision of the cross. Not a baby in a manger, but a man hanging on a cross. And he sings his carol for my eyes have seen. Your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Now, there's something about those words that we need to get a hold of today, because as I was digging into this, it just kind of blew my mind. And as I said, we don't know much about Simeon. I really wish that I knew more about Simeon than what God's word gives us, because this guy is remarkable, absolutely remarkable. Simeon is a devout Jew in the temple that day with this baby cradled in his arms, announcing this, get a hold of it, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Friends, if you don't understand this, this is an incredibly prophetic declaration a prophetic a prophetic insight that Simeon has in that moment because the Jews were waiting for a promised Messiah but that was them it was for them and 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 here is Simeon saying a light for revelation to the Gentiles that's just wrong at every level But Simeon recognized what nobody anticipated in the Messiah what nobody saw coming That Jesus was the saviour of the world. He's going to save us all, not just the Jews. And it's why you and I meet in celebration of a living Christ today. Amen. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. 
And Jesus was born to be the light of the world, leading all men back to God. That's the revelation that Simeon had. What an amazing dude. Friends, have you seen the light of the world? Have you recognized that your only hope in this world is for that eternal salvation that comes from Jesus? We've got to come to a place in life where we stop believing that we actually think we've got all the answers because we simply don't. And our only hope of getting this right is to surrender fully to God. To surrender to God and acknowledge that through this babe born into the world, we actually discover a man who came to die for us on a cross. So the first question, have you seen Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And if the answer is yes, then a question that must follow on from that is, what are you doing to help others see Jesus? But then the final question, leading us back to the start, and I'll ask the team to come back. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? After blessing the baby, Simeon then says something to Mary and Joseph that was very, very confronting. Luke 2 and 34, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And again, prophetically, basically saying, Jesus' life is not going to be an easy one. And further to that, following Jesus is not going to be an easy life as well. Jesus himself calls it a narrow road. That's the road that we're called to tread. Might be narrow, but let me tell you, it is rewarding, fulfilling, enriching, amazing. Jesus was going to be a threat to proud religious people. And he was. But then beautifully at the same time, he lifted up the poor and the downtrodden and the outcast. What a contrast. Jesus often criticized the religious elite and to those who were regarded as worthless, Jesus gave worth to. What a beautiful picture. I often get the, uh, you know, I invite somebody to church and they say, oh, I'm not religious. It's like, Fantastic. Neither was Jesus. You're welcome. But Jesus' message, Jesus' life was so confronting. Many people actually determined to make an enemy of him. Because something remarkable about the life of Jesus, something remarkable about an encounter with Jesus, is that Jesus always, always reveals the true state of our heart and life. You know, I I often say to people, one of the first things I realized when I came to Jesus is that I was broken. 
All our world does with brokenness today is normalize it because we don't like to consider ourselves as broken. But humanity is broken and God begins to restore that mess. Earlier I said there were only two answers to the question of who controlled your life, yourself or God. If you're in control of your own life, Jesus is going to be seen as a threat to that. But friends, if you allow God to take control of your life, He will draw close. He will call you friend. He will be your Lord. He will be your guide. So what's your attitude to Jesus today? Is He your friend or is He a threat? It's an important question and that question actually has eternal consequences. So we kind of need to decide where we stand. And through his very, very brief appearance in the pages of God's Word, Simeon brings four simple challenges. For those who know Jesus, for those who walk with God, let's not be impatient. Are we willing to wait upon God's timing in all things? It might be difficult, but the lesson is we've just got to trust. Even maybe Simeon waited all of his life. We've got to trust God. I'm just waiting upon you. I know you got this. Secondly, who is it that controls our life? Are we willing to surrender everything to Jesus, every area? Thirdly, for those that haven't seen Jesus, have you seen the light that Simeon spoke of? The light of hope, the light of truth, the light of the world? Do you need to know more about this Saviour of the world? And the fourth question, what will you do with Jesus? Is He a friend or is He a threat?